0: I'm Cassie Hilbron, and this is the Cook It Real Good podcast, bringing you shortcuts to success in the kitchen. This week's episode is all about tofu. I chat with Anna Ryder, who is a food writer who documents kitchen experiments on garlicdelight.com with the help of her physicist and taste testing husband, Alex. She has an insatiable appetite for noodles, yum, and believes in cooking without following recipes. You can find her kitchen creations on garlicdelight.com and other media outlets, including The Spruce Eats, Forbes, NBC News, The Kitchen, and Machismo. Anna and Alex started Garlic Delight after gaining weight and spending too much money on takeout and frozen meals. I can relate. Traditional batch cooking and meal prepping advice was overwhelming. um, And they gave up after a horrible bout of food poisoning. Oh no. Then they discovered that healthy, easy to make, time-saving and delicious cooking is possible. That's why Garlic Delight exists to share their ingredients first approach to cooking and cook once, eat three times philosophy with busy overachievers who believe that they don't have time to cook at home. I love that philosophy. And it takes us through everything we need to know about tofu, what different types of tofu are, how to use it, do we need to press it, can we freeze it? This is just a taste of what you can expect from today's chat. If you're new to cooking with tofu or love cooking with it, have been for years, I know you're going to get something out of today's episode. This week's recipe of the week is my crispy salt and pepper tofu. Look, this couldn't be more perfect timing. I just posted publish on this this week, and I'm also pressing publish on this episode about tofu this week too. So the crispy salt and pepper tofu, I got the idea after I went to a Vietnamese restaurant. feels like forever ago when we could eat in restaurants um, about a month ago for my uncle's birthday and they had this, yeah, salt and pepper tofu that was like crispy and they had like a little dipping bowl that had like, a, that you dip the bites in salt and pepper. Oh, was to die for. So I came home and just had to remake it immediately and that's where this recipe comes from. All you need is four simple ingredients and you pan fry these tasty tofu bites to crunchy perfection. Grab the recipe link as well as all the links we discuss in today's episode by visiting cookitrealgood.com slash 41. Now, let's dive in. Hi, Anna. Welcome to the Cook It Real Good podcast. Hi, Cassie. Thanks for having me on. I'm so excited to have you here. Now, before we get into today's topic, can I get your last cooking
1: fail? Yes, I was making a chocolate cake recipe for one of my blogger friends, Nick at Machismo, and he um, has me on guest posting about what he calls homemade trials. So that's where he compares the homemade version to the store bought version to see, you know, Um, does it taste better, is it cheaper, is it uh, faster to make, and the nutrition. So he's got four categories there. And I moved to Boulder, Colorado about nine months ago. And for people who don't know Colorado, it's in the mountains. And so we're in high altitude. It's about 5,000 feet um, up high. And so I know that baking is really tough in the high altitude, but I didn't realize quite how bad it was going to be to make a cake. And they failed. They failed. Completely. I mean, they were as dry as the Sahara Desert. You know, you put them in your mouth or you cut them and it looks like sawdust. And I was just like, oh my gosh, how am I going to make this work? It's so bad. And so now I've got, I think, four or five more chocolate cakes left in the freezer that I had to freeze. Because I just couldn't, you know, after a while, it's like too much chocolate cake. I can't eat anymore.
0: Oh my gosh. So what's the
1: trick to making sure that you can bake at high altitude? It's so funny you ask because I actually just wrote a post about that because I'm not much of a baker. I call myself a bumbling baker because... You know, I just don't do it that much. And so I'm not that good. But I figured, okay, I've got all the tricks now. So let me just write a post before I forget all of this in case the next time I have to bake something, you know, it's it's a disaster again. So the main thing it looks like is, you know, with the higher altitude, we're dealing with a lot less atmosphere. And so there's just less air in general. And air has air pressure, so it pushes things down. And so the biggest problem with my recipes were that they weren't adjusted for the high altitude. And so most of the recipes that you search for won't be either because most people just don't live in the mountains. And so the main things that I tried were um, adding more liquid because water does evaporate at lower temperatures here. And so you just get a much drier cake. Um, I added... Um, a couple more eggs to give it more structure. And I also added a bit more flour to give it more structure. Um, And I had to decrease the baking powder because your cake just kind of bubbles up because there's less air pushing down on it. But then it suddenly will collapse. Um, So yeah, high altitude baking has all kinds of strange things about it. I still love living here, but it's made baking cakes, cookies, you know, sweetbreads, like uh, banana bread and stuff like that uh, it's its made it much tougher
0: wow yeah it's not really something that I've considered obviously I don't live at altitude but while, while it might not be so like the majority of the population who do live in these places I'm sure plenty of people do and they would encounter those problems. So yeah, that post would be really helpful. I'm going to pop that in the show notes.
1: Yeah, for sure. And actually, the first thing I would recommend is people find a really good recipe. And so I've actually linked to um, the podcast you did where you're talking about, you know, how do you find a good recipe? Because that's a huge part of the battle. If you've got a well-tested well-made recipe from a high-altitude blogger, and I link to a couple in my post, you're good to go because they've gone through all the hard work to actually test it. And so the real challenge is if you're doing the testing yourself, then how do you do it? You know what I mean? But I would always recommend to you listeners, please just find something that's already tested. Then that takes most of the guesswork out for you.
0: Mm, Definitely. Definitely. Don't make it harder on yourself. Now, today we're going to talk about tofu. And you and I were just talking before we started the call about my own eating journey at the moment. So I have spoken about this. I'm not sure if I've spoken about it on the podcast, but I've spoken about it on the blog, that um, I personally am trying to eat more meatless meals, um, taking a step back. It's all for personal reasons, and the blog's not changing to vegetarian or vegan anytime soon. But I've just noticed a change in my own eating habits that I am you know, going towards more of a meatless meals. And part of that has been a journey of trying to enjoy cooking with tofu. Um, I must admit that when I started, I had no idea what to do with a block of tofu. I'd only ever had tofu in say like a curry if uh, I was getting takeaway or something. Um, so yeah, it was, it's been a really big learning curve for me. And I kind of wish that I had this, this podcast episode way back when I started. So (laughs) I'm very excited to, to pick your brain on some things and hopefully we can clarify this for everyone else.
1: That sounds great. I would love to hear your experience, especially because as someone who's growing up with tofu almost all my life and growing up with a lot of vegetarians, I don't always hear that perspective. And so the fact that you said, you know, you've just started it and There's a lot of questions you have. Um, I know I've heard from my friends. They find it to be really bland, really watery, uh, really scary because it's like a blank canvas. You know, what do I do with it? Those are all really good points. And so I hope we can cover that today.
0: Awesome. Well, let's just start with the obvious. What
1: is tofu? Yeah. So if we think about cheese... Tofu is actually a lot like the vegetarian or even vegan version of cheese. So what I mean by that is tofu is coagulated soy milk and it's um, coagulated using a special coagulant. There's a couple of different chemicals out there. But if you think about, you know, um, just regular milk cheese or goat cheese, they use a coagulant like rennet to form the, to form curds. And so tofu, uh, you get the soybeans, you boil it, you make soy milk from it, and then they put a coagulant in there. And then the curds start to separate from the whey, just like with regular cheese. Once that happens, uh, the curds get drained, they get pressed, and then that's how you get that block of tofu. And so Um, If anybody feels like it's a little bit foreign or it's a little bit strange, actually, tofu is just the same process of making cheese, which you may consume, you know, weekly or very regularly. The only exception is silken tofu. And I think we'll get to that later in the podcast. But the main difference with that is the coagulant is a little different and the tofu is never pressed. So silken tofu has a different texture because of that.
0: That sounds okay. That sounds like a very good example of trying to relate it to cheese, because, yeah, i I would have had no idea where anyone would even begin to make tofu. (laughs) But now, yeah, that definitely makes sense with the separation. So what is tofu's
1: superpower? Yeah, I love to say tofu has a superpower. And to me, what that means is tofu itself doesn't have a real flavor to it. I mean, sometimes you might taste a uh, tofu that has a slightly beanie flavor, but that's pretty uncommon in most Western countries because I think the soy beans that they use tend to be a bit more mild and bland, mostly because people in Western countries aren't really used to that kind of beanie flavor. So. My friends call it bland and boring, right? It sounds really negative, but actually that's the most exciting thing about it. Because when you hear that it doesn't have a flavor, that means that its superpower is that it can take on any flavor that you want. And so we're talking, you can make your tofu taste like soy sauce. You can make it taste like curry. um, You can make it taste like... Beef, chicken, uh, seafood, if you want, and you can even make it taste like things you would never associate with tofu, like buffalo wings or sweet and sour pork or even desserts like pumpkin pie. I actually had somebody at the gym recently talked to me about the best pumpkin pie recipe his mom makes and he's like you know what the secret is and and by the way we weren't talking about tofu at all he just randomly popped this out it's like she uses silken tofu you know and so just thinking about the fact that you could put tofu in a pie a sweet pie blows my mind right and so if that's not a superpower what is That is a superpower.
0: (laughs) It can form anything that you want it to be. I like that. Yep. I'm going to remember that now. It is something that I think that I struggled with at the start was just like knowing where to start because you did just have this blank canvas and knowing like what's going to taste good with it. But you're right. It's just whatever you feel like making it with, it's going to take on that flavor. Now, I read a lot of recipes that say that you need to press tofu. What is, like, how do you press tofu for
1: starters and do you need to do it? Yeah, that's a great question. And one thing I will say, what, uh, circling back to what you mentioned, is that a lot of people don't realize that there's actually a lot of tofu varieties out there. And so I've got this post that's called, you know, um, different types of tofu you've never heard of. And a lot of those tofus are not the kind of bland block tofu that comes in a plastic tub with water in it, right? There's like deep fried tofu and tofu shaped like noodles. And I will sometimes use that if I want like a noodle, but you know, lower carb or something like that. Um, so folks who are really intimidated by tofu, they can also just go with the flavored tofu. I mean, some of this stuff is like super deep fried. So, so you know we're getting out of the realm of like a New Agey yoga, you know, health food. Right? It's like really, really, really flavored, and it tastes like um, restaurant food, frankly. Oh, so wow. there's that variety for people who just yeah, people just don't want to deal with the 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 white stuff in a tub that looks like a brick. That's perfectly fine. There's a lot out there. Um I know a lot of the the US uh, listeners will have access to uh, uh, supermarkets like Whole Foods and Trader Joe's and they have like a baked tofu and a sriracha tofu at Trader Joe's and so that's already it's cooked and it already has flavoring. Um, I know my friend who lives in the UK, he has access to this Italian flavored tofu. And so there are supermarkets out there I know that are carrying some of these more innovative tofu products for people who are intimidated. Uh, But to your question about pressing tofu, let's get into that. So I would say the main kind of tofu that people are exposed to is that brick-shaped tofu, it comes in a plastic tub, it's wet, it's got lots of water, and that means it's got a lot of moisture. And actually, this kind of tofu, it comes in a lot of varieties um, and a lot of, well, when I say varieties, I mean a lot of levels of firmness. So, you can get like the, the soft, you can get the medium, medium firm, extra firm, and so on. And so, you know, because it lives in water and that stops it from drying out, it's also very wet. And so, The wetness means that it's not picking up as much flavor, but it also has trouble crisping up. Um, For example, Cassie, have you ever tried to cook anything that's really wet and has lots of water in hot oil? (laughs) Have you ever had that experience? Yeah, it's not good. Yeah, exactly. So it probably will leave you with some scars, right? Like the oil yeah. will just <laughs> jumps everywhere. It splatters. It creates a huge mess in your kitchen. And frankly, it's dangerous. You can actually you know, catch your kitchen on fire if you have like curtains nearby and the hot oil jumps onto the curtains. So that's why people started this technique of pressing tofu. Um, and in particular, I'm talking about this block tofu, because it's a really good way of making sure you get the extra moisture out of it. And what's the benefit of that? Well, number one, it really gets to crisp up and take on a beautiful, golden, crunchy outside. And it also makes it easier for you to pick up sauces because you've got less of that water sitting around to dilute your sauces. Is that the experience that you've had when you started pressing tofu? Definitely,
0: and I've I've found like so. I'm not sure if it's the same. I'm, it probably is. So we don't have. I haven't found like the flavored uh, tofu that you were talking about. But in our supermarkets, we have some like firm and super firm tofu blocks that aren't sitting in that water. Like they might they might be a little damp, but they're not um, as drenched as others. And I found that they. Um, can can be, you don't really have to go to the pressing effort if you don't want to. Um, but if you're trying to get that really
1: crispy outside, it probably is best to to be pressing it down anyway. You know what I love about what you just said? I've actually got a little rant on my how to press tofu article that explains that if you want to press tofu, it's perfectly fine. But a lot of times I actually just take the shortcut by Specifically, buying extra firm or something called super firm, which is even a level more extreme than extra firm tofu. And then that really saves me the time because essentially what's happened is a machine in the tofu factory pressed it for you. It's not that the tofu hasn't been pressed. It's just that you don't have to do it. Whereas soft tofu has much more water content and hasn't been pressed as much. So I'm, you know, I'm always thinking, hey, I'm going to rely on the machine at the factory to do the pressing for me. And then all I have to do is just kind of pat it dry and we're done. Oh, phew. I'm not being lazy by doing that then. <laughs> no, absolutely not. It's a great idea. And the way you can tell that it has less water is that it's probably coming in one of those... Plastic bags that's vacuum sealed. And so there's no plastic tub with water in it. Is that how you buy it when you see it in your grocery store? Yeah. Yeah. That's how it gets. So that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So absolutely. I 100% support that. And when I'm lazy, I just buy the super tofu because I'm like, you know, I'm, I want to make um, vegan scrambled eggs or something. And I know that that's going to require me to crumble the tofu. And so I don't want to deal with pressing it before I do that. Or I've recently started making, um, uh, like low carb poutine for my husband because he's on a low carb diet right now, and so he can't eat fries or he chooses not to eat uh, potato fries. And so we've been using extremely fried up tofu with so, uh, the the super firm tofu in place of fries, and then we kind of make poutine that way. And Canadians would probably consider it an abomination, but it works for us. <laughs> (laughs) I love
0: that. I think I really want to try it because I'm, I am now addicted to this tofu. I'm all in. I'll try it anyway. So (laughs) protein sounds good to me. Now you just talked about, all right, I've got two questions. So with pressing it, I think that there's some confusion about like how you actually do that too, because um, I know that you can buy these like special like tofu presses. I don't even know how expensive they are, but like that probably throws people off. But isn't there just like a way that you can do it very easily with what you have at home?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And let me ask you, Cassie, have you? Been, what have you been using for pressing tofu?
0: I used a plate and I put my cast iron
1: over it. Perfect. That's pretty much what I do as well. Um, I would say that there's a lot of products available on the market that help people with pressing tofu. And they can range from, I think, as low as 20 to $25 to all the way to 190 The $190 one is ridiculous to me because it just looks like an extreme heavy paperweight, um, which honestly, your cast iron probably does just as well, frankly. And, you know, some of the, the, the cheaper ones, what they really are, they're, they're basically two- plastic plates, uh, flat plates, and there's a screw between them. And so what that allows you to do is push your tofu in between these two plastic plates and then tighten the screws until you get the level of pressing you want. And then it allows you to walk away and put that somewhere like in your drain, in your sink or something, and just kind of let the tofu go for as many hours as you want. And that's perfectly fine. I know people get these gifts uh, for Christmas and they really like it and they change the, their tofu game if you want a couple seconds of entertainment i would go on amazon and actually look at the listings because the reviewers are really funny um And yeah, it's it's, it's gold. Um, but for me, I just don't see a benefit to having another gadget in my kitchen because like you, the way that I press my tofu, if I do at all, because again, I usually just buy the super firm tofu and thank the tofu factory for pressing it for me already. So it's ready <laughs> to go. Uh, but when I do want my own pressed tofu, because um, I, I buy a lot of tofu from Costco. And so it's really cheap, but they only sell the medium kind. And so it's got a lot of water. And so if I've got that's all I got on hand, then I do have to press it. And so what I do is I get uh, two cutting boards, you know, two chopping boards. I put one down and then I put some paper towels on top of the cutting board, if I'm trying to be really eco-friendly, I will put some thing that's reusable and washable, like muslin cloth or cheesecloth. Mm-hmm. And the point is that's going to soak up the water. So then I put my block of tofu on top. I put another layer of paper towels or cheesecloth, and then I put another cutting board on top. And then I just weigh that down with anything heavy that I have within reach. Mm-hmm. So usually it's going to be my husband's textbooks because he's got a lot of really, really heavy... Um, physics and stats textbooks. And they're just, you know, they're perfect for that. And so, you know, I I, I put that on there and then I just let it go. And I come back after a certain amount of time and I'm ready to cook. Perfect.
0: Now we were talking before about how to make crispy tofu in particular because obviously you can cook it in many different ways and you'll get many different results but crispy is kind of my favorite um so obviously pressing the tofu whether you buy it already pressed or you press it yourself is going to help with that process but is there anything else we can be doing to be making the tofu extra crispy
1: yeah and it Depends on how you're cooking it. So let's just talk about the most common way, I think, which is using a frying pan and frying it in oil. So I think the main thing you need to be aware of is just patting it down to make sure that you don't have moisture. And then um, using a neutral, high smoking point oil. So if you're using something that's not really made to be fried like butter, especially if it's not clarified butter, Um, not only is the butter going to burn way before your tofu actually gets crispy, but it's going to create a giant Burnt mess. And so, what I recommend is getting something that you know is a neutral oil, doesn't have a lot of flavor, and it has a high smoking point. So, you're a vegetable oil, canola oil, peanut oil. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of resources online to find a good oil for that kind of purpose. Um, That's really critical. And here's a nice little trick that I know a lot of restaurants use. And what they do is they cut up the tofu into um, strips or cube sized pieces, um, and then they coat it lightly with cornstarch. And what that will do is make the outside surface really crispy and golden once it hits the hot oil. That's how restaurants make the really delicious crispy tofu that you love eating. And an extra benefit is it is a great way of picking up sauces once you actually put the sauce on your tofu before you serve it. One thing that's smart about that is cutting up your tofu into smaller pieces provides more surface area, which gives more of an opportunity to brown the sides of the tofu. And so, you know, kind of like the amazingness of a potato chip, right? Like having the whole surface area to get fried makes it more delicious. And so the same thing happens with tofu. For some people who feel a little bit intimidated about that, of pan frying or even frying tofu there's two other easier ways of getting tofu to be crispy one way is grilling it and you can grill it similar to how you might grow chicken breasts. Uh, just make sure you brush oil on it to keep it, you know, um, moist and to get the edges brown. And that would also give you those beautiful grow marks that you might have seen on some tofu salads. And the other way is you can bake it. And baking it can be easier for people who are a little bit intimidated about pan frying and hot oil. Um, and I also really like how baking is kind of said it, forget it. So that makes it really uh friendly if you're really busy and you want to start working on cooking other parts of dinner instead of just standing there waiting for the the pan frying to finish um and it's also i mean grilling and Baking probably won't get the tofu quite as crispy as just purely cooking it in hot boiling oil the way that deep frying and pan frying do, but it's going to get you a lot of the way there. And I think it's still a great start for people who are new to tofu.
0: Yes. I I actually haven't tried baking it yet, if you can believe. So I think I need to try it. I've done the air fryer and I've done pan frying, but I haven't baked it. Okay, so... We've kind of just talked a little bit about how we can cook tofu. So, like, obviously you can pan fry it and you can bake it. What are some other ways that you can use tofu? Like, if you if for a beginner, if you just got a, your first pack of tofu – What are some ways that we can encourage them to start cooking with it?
1: I really love that question because it really goes to what I believe are the two main philosophies of tofu. And those two philosophies are, number one, use tofu as a plant-based replacement for meats and animal products. So what I mean by that is a lot of people eat tofu as a substitute for meat. So they're going to buy tofu to use it instead of cooking chicken breasts. They're going to use tofu instead of, let's say, milk or eggs or dairy when they're making desserts like custard and smoothies. And then there's the second way of using tofu as an ingredient, which is actually showcasing tofu as the main center ingredient, as opposed to hiding it as a substitute for something else. And so I think the main way that you can explore tofu are uh, the main ways are figuring out which camp you're in. And they're not mutually exclusive philosophies. You can use both philosophies depending on the mood you're in. So let me give you an example. If you're using plant-based substitutes for meat and animal products and tofu is part of the ingredient, um, one of the ingredients you want to use, well, then you can start cooking tofu by baking it, grilling it braising it boiling it uh frying it the way that you might with chicken thighs chicken breasts even a steak or shrimp um even even something like fish and so there's a lot of recipes out there i know about how to grill tofu for a tofu salad or how to braise tofu the way that you might braise chicken thighs And I think that's a great way of starting out with tofu because it makes it feel less of a foreign thing when you're just thinking, oh, I'm just substituting tofu. Um, One way I love using tofu in this philosophy is anytime I'm making a a meaty dish, I will absolutely add tofu to stretch it. And it's really helpful because tofu's tends to be cheaper than meat and fish. And so you're saving money there. It's better for the environment. So that's another win there. And finally, it helps stretch out the meal so that you've just got more protein without having to cook a second meal. So for example, I have this amazing meat sauce that I like to make, and it uses ground beef or ground bison or even ground chicken, ground pork. I'll sometimes crumble in some extra firm tofu in there and the tofu takes on the meat flavor, but you can't even tell that it's tofu. So you still get a really high protein meal for a lot cheaper and it's better for the environment. So I love using tofu for that purpose.
0: That's a great idea. I never thought about putting it in with a meat dish either. So that's a really good idea to make it go further.
1: Absolutely. And then um, I will sometimes use silken tofu and, you know, maybe we'll talk about silken tofu later um, as a substitute for yogurt. Right. So if I'm making a smoothie, I'll put silken tofu in instead of yogurt. Maybe instead of milk, um, I've used silken tofu for tofu, um, chocolate tofu mousse. And so, you know, if I'm trying to make something that's supposed to use cream and I don't have any, but I've got silken tofu, I'll use it for that as well. And then the second way of showcasing tofu as its main ingredient, it's um, mostly using tofu as its own main featured ingredient. And so, examples of dishes I have are, you know, I have a egg tofu that's pan fried and it tastes really delicious because the egg um, adds a lot of uh, kind of flavor. I know that doesn't sound appetizing, but trust me, it's really good. And you just pan fry that, serve it with a little bit of soy sauce or a sweet Thai chili sauce, and that's it. It's really simple, but it's really good. Um, There's a lot of silken tofu dishes that just focus on silken tofu as the main ingredient with some flavorings. Um, A lot of Japanese food really does a really great job with this. And so that's kind of another way of eating tofu where it's the main centerpiece of the dish.
0: Well, let's talk about what silken tofu is now because we've sort of teased it teased it enough. Let's let's talk about what it is.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. So, have you ever used silken tofu, or have you eaten it? I'm just curious. I have eaten it, but I haven't used it yet. Got it. And so, when you ate it, did you notice that it was really wobbly and really soft and almost like jelly? Yes, yes,
0: yes. I I have. I've, when you mentioned about the Japanese, I'm like, that's where I've eaten it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's really popular, actually, in Japanese cuisine. And if you've never heard the term silken tofu, you might have actually heard of this product we're talking about, but it might have been called Japanese tofu or Japanese style tofu. So silken tofu is still made from soy milk, but it uses a different coagulant than the main kind of block tofu that we've been talking about. And silken tofu is never pressed. So what they normally do is they just put the soil milk into the container and then they add the coagulant into the container, they seal it, and then the tofu firms up inside its container. And that's why sometimes when you take the silken tofu out of its container, you'll still see little ridges where it's actually taken the form of the plastic container or the aseptic container it came in. And so because it's not pressed, And it has a really fine, silky texture. That's kind of why it's called silken tofu. And what it looks like is it kind of looks like jelly, like the wobbly jelly that you had as a kid, um, or in the US, a lot of people call it jello. And what it means is it's really soft. It's a little bit more challenging to handle. For example, you're going to have trouble even picking up the soft variety of silken tofu with your hand. It won't even stay in your hand. It will just completely break up. And... So some people are intimidated by it because it seems hard to work with. But what makes it amazing is its silken texture and the fact that it has a really creamy um, mouthfeel. And so it makes it a really interesting ingredient you can use as a plant-based uh frankly vegan substitute for a lot of things like uh milk eggs or dairy when you're doing baking but a lot of cultures also love eating it so it's a main feature of japanese cuisines and i think they love the exquisiteness of how soft and and delicate the texture is and how it kind of just you know it doesn't quite melt in your mouth but it kind of just um it, it just kind of, you know, it takes on the flavor of the dish and it's this kind of like silky, delightful, exquisite, like velvety feel.
0: I love the unique ways you sort of spoke about earlier of using it. Um, like it's in place of cream and things like that. I never would have thought of that. Um, but what a great idea now I need to get a pack and try it myself.
1: Yeah, I think the easiest way to try it is actually just in a smoothie because it takes five minutes usually to blend a smoothie together. Um, It's a nice, easy way of trying out whether or not you like working with silken tofu because you'll be able to uh, blend it up and see what it feels like, um, taste the texture and also figure out, you know, could this be something that I might use then in, you know, custards or uh, pies and things like that.
0: Good idea. Now, can you freeze tofu?
1: Absolutely. And I think tofu, frozen tofu, becomes its own kind of tofu. I really think of it as a completely different product, even though it is made from the same thing that you see in a block. So what happens when you freeze tofu is, we already discussed how tofu has lots of moisture in it, right? And so that means a lot of water. And the water will expand Because, you know, from your uh, high school science class, you'll probably remember water expands when it freezes, it gets bigger. And so what that does is um, all of the tofu, it lives in these little, uh, sorry, all the water, uh, it lives in little pores inside the tofu. And then when it expands, it enlarges these pores and makes them into like a sponge. So you essentially have something that almost looks like Swiss cheese or even like, you know, a sponge that you might use in the kitchen. For cleaning, and the beauty of that is, when the water melts, it drains away from the tofu, and so you get this tofu that acts kind of like a sponge, and it soaks up all of the marinades and sauces that you would use to flavor the tofu. And so it makes this kind of you know frozen tofu a perfect, um, uh, perfect use case or perfect application in things like curry or sauces, and it really infuses uses the tofu with those flavors. That
0: is sounds so cool. I've never tried to freeze it yet, so now I need to do that. So what it would be best in like a
1: curry or maybe like a saucy stir fry? Yep, exactly. I like it in a curry. I like it in saucy stir fries. I like it in braises a lot. I've been doing a lot of braising lately, especially because, you know, in the US here we we're just over winter and so I did a lot of braising. I like it in a lot of soups. And it's also just a great um, all purpose kind of like meat meaty substitute, if you will. So a lot of people who want to use tofu as a chicken breast substitute, they will freeze it and then just cook it with the same recipe that they would normally cook with chicken breast. But the frozen tofu takes on a more meat like texture. And so they like it better because it's got the mouthfeel feel that they're looking for when they're looking for a meat substitute. Mm, and that is important.
0: Okay. Now I've got to try freezing it and I've got to try silken tofu. All right. You give me a few ideas here that I need to go (laughs) and do my homework. So Anna, your blog, Garlic Delight, I assume you have a lot of tofu recipes on there. Could you share some of your favorite ones for people who are just wanting to get started with tofu?
1: Yeah, sure. I think the two easiest ones and the most relatable ones are that fruit smoothie that I mentioned to you, Cassie. Um, I think it's really easy to get a uh, taste for silken tofu and see if you like it just by blending it with some frozen fruit or even fresh food fruit and you can put in your favorites like peanut butter Um, you know, Nutella, anything you want in your smoothie. And so the reason I like starting with that is because it's not intimidating. Most people know how to make a smoothie and it's also not like you have to invest a lot of time in making this elaborate pumpkin pie only to find, oh, I don't like silken tofu at all and I've wasted all this time making this pie that I'm not going to eat. And the second way I like starting with tofu is using it in a coconut curry. Um, I really like this Thai coconut curry recipe I have where it uses, um, green coconut, uh, yeah, green curry paste. Although you can use, you know, red, yellow, any other variety of curry paste and you just cook curry the same way, except you use tofu instead of using chicken or beef or, um, fish or pork or anything you're going to use. And so most people like curry and they know what it tastes like and so it's easy to kind of slip it in and then the last uh Uh, recipe that I have that I think could be kind of interesting as a, if nothing else, a thought experiment, but also for people to try is that shiitake mushroom meat sauce I talked about where I show, you know, what does it look like if you just crumble tofu in and you can have a meat sauce that gets the tofu really well flavored and extends your meal. Right. And kind of makes it more, again, environmentally friendly and more cost effective.
0: Absolutely. Oh, there's so many good ideas there. Now, Anna, can you let my listeners know where they can find you?
1: Yeah, so you can find me at garlicdelight.com. So that's garlic, like the aromatic, the bulb thing, um, that – gives lots of delightful flavors to your cooking and that's kind of why we're you know garlic delight and uh, I have a special resource for your listeners today uh, they can go to garlic delight.com slash cook it real good and get a PDF summary of a lot of the ideas that we talked about in an easy format that they can then follow and start cooking with tofu in their own kitchen
0: that is such a good resource yes 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 thank you so much for making that for my listeners oh, it's good for me anyway I've already had a sneak peek <laughs> but um yeah that's was so great of you to organize that for us because I think that, yeah, all of the things that we've learned today are really, really helpful for people who are not even just starting with tofu, but even if you've been cooking with, with tofu for a while, you might have seen silken tofu and never really known what to do with it or like you might not have ever tried to freeze it. So I think people will get some good good ideas from this episode. Thank you so much for sharing all that with us.
1: Oh, yeah. And thank you so much, Cassie, for inviting me. And it's been a real honor to discuss tofu with you and, and learn more from you as well about your tofu experience. Thank you. Thank you.
0: It was such a joy chatting all things tofu with Anna. If anyone told me just a few months ago that I would enjoy eating and cooking tofu regularly, I probably would have laughed, but I am so glad to have discovered that the only thing holding me back from becoming a full-blown tofu lover was just cooking it the right way. If you want to try any of the recipes Anna discussed in today's episode, head to cookitrealgood.com slash 41 for the links. That's it from me. Have a great week and don't just cook. Cook it real good. Bye.